Hello, and welcome to Real Money Powered by CanStar, a podcast about real people and their real money stories. I'm Effie Zahos, CanStar's editor-at-large, author, and finance commentator. Over the past 20 years plus, I've enjoyed helping Aussies make the most of their hard-earned money. CanStar is Australia's biggest financial comparison site, helping over 10 million people a year compare finance products and make better money decisions. Before we get started, a friendly reminder that everybody's circumstances can be different and nothing we discuss here today should be taken as personal advice. It's always best to make your own inquiries before making any decisions about your finances. Poor money management, penny pinching, or secret money stashes can undo the strongest of relationships, with 31% of Australian singles saying money was part or all of the cause of their recent breakup. That's according to CanStar's latest Love and Money report. Now, on today's episode, I chat with Naomi, who was blindsided by her now ex-partner's financial deceit. I'm also joined by relationship counsellor Fiona Bailey, who reveals the red flags to watch out for. Finally, family law specialist Brett Hartley gives us the lowdown on the legal aspects of ending a relationship. Welcome, Naomi. Now, you entered a new relationship at a stage in your life when you had already built your own assets. Both of you had children and financial responsibilities of your own. Things, I believe, were running quite smoothly. But once you purchased a home together, you started to realise things just weren't quite right. The family budget just wasn't adding up. Can you tell me a little bit more about how things unfolded? It was quite a gradual unfolding, which I think is why it took me so long to piece together the jigsaw puzzle of what was happening. So we sort of agreed when we combined our finances he was very good with numbers, me not so much. I'm more of a words person. Having said that, I'm financially literate, but we decided we'd play to our strengths and he agreed he would manage the budget, which was new for me. I'd always done it myself. And when we'd purchased the house, we'd obviously worked out all of our budget, what we could afford, what we were each putting in, and that's what the loan was based on. But once we moved in, we had to purchase new furniture and things like that for the house. He seemed to be quite begrudging whenever we had to do that, and it sort of became a bit of a sticking point that he started to say that I was spending too much money, and then it became that I was actually not very good with money and I was the reason that we didn't have enough money and he kept saying, oh, I need to talk to you about the budget. But when I did, it was not a proper budget. It was just like, it was just a couple of lines on the screen and he then decided that I wasn't really interested in the budget and I wasn't contributing or willing to kind of be part of it and he got really quite resentful about it. I think I offered a few different things and I can't remember the time frame, but I know at some stage I did actually say to him, maybe we should separate back into our own Mm. bank accounts and that can be easier to manage. And he was violently against that. I said, let's move into a cheaper house. Maybe we actually can't afford this house. He was violently against that. So I actually ended up saying, I'll take on the finances myself. Was he reluctant for you to do that? No, he by that stage was sort of a bit cynical very cynical towards me so I said yeah good luck you take Mm. on the budget then see if you can make it work and I was like okay well I've done it before and I started sort of mapping it all out and I just couldn't make the numbers add up and 
I realised that there was a whole big gap of money from his salary of what should have been going into our accounts that just wasn't. And when I would bring it up with him, which I did a number of times, he would get very, very, very defensive and really made it so uncomfortable for me that I felt Mm. like I was really being a drag, you know, and he told me the money was going into a joint account for his kids with his ex. He was using a little bit, like I think he said $30 a week in this little gambling syndicate he had with a couple of friends. I sort of said, look, can we lay it all out on the table because we just can't afford this house with the money that's coming in and we both earn really good money and should have been fine to afford it. I, I felt quite, I just confused is the word when you're sort of asking questions but the reaction's so extreme that you end up stopping asking the questions which I now realise were completely valid and the yeah. right questions to ask. Then a few things kind of happened in a row. He lost his job quite dramatically and suddenly he wasn't earning money he did have his holidays but he didn't have any redundancies and so I stepped up but during that time a letter came for him and I accidentally opened it and then not so accidentally (laughs) read it because I realized it was his superannuation statement Mm. and he'd never shared this with me even though I'd asked what did you say in the statement So that was when I got the big kick in the guts and the big smack across the face with a wet fish. When I looked at it and realised that he was putting about four or five hundred dollars per pay, which is per fortnight, into his own super, I just suddenly went, wow, you're Mm. actually taking care of yourself. Why would you be doing without talking to me about it? I confronted him about it and he made it all about the fact I'd opened his mail, got really furious, and then eventually he said, well, why don't you do the same? I said, because we'll have no money for our mortgage. Mm. There's nothing left. But he couldn't see it that way. And that for me was, I think, the moment when I just went, there's something really wrong. Naomi, can I just take you back from the beginning? Let me get this right. You had a long courtship. It was interesting that you thought you weren't that good with money when, in fact, I believe when we spoke last time, you actually said you did pay off your mortgage as a single mum on your own. I find it interesting that you first up said, yep, I didn't think I was that great with money, so he took the money and I would sit on the side. Was that interesting that you took that approach given you were so good with money? I think it was more I thought I'm not great with accounting. It's not my love. And I believe in, you know, each kind of playing to their strengths. And if that was a strength of his, then I was, you know, let's carve it up and he can handle that. And I thought it had been long enough and I thought we'd had enough conversations that I'd been really clear about the finances. So my dad is very, very financially savvy and he taught us from a young age Every dinner time, he'd talk about real estate, he'd talk about money and compound interest. So I think I actually had more of a financial education than most people. And I bought my house when I was 27. Mm. And then, yeah, many years later, ended up being a single mum. And I managed that all myself. I was working three days a week and I still managed to, to scrape it together. And how much did you each bring into this relationship? My house was worth a lot more than his house and my house had been my security base through all those years of struggle of being a single mum and having times when I didn't have enough money for a cup of coffee but I made it through Mm. and I was very conscious of not risking that. 
And you mentioned before that you were both earning great incomes. So you, you managed to pay off a house and a single income when you combine your income together, just something was not right. Couldn't work it out. Yeah. Were there some signs? Obviously, when you open that letter, that's what did it, I imagine. It's really interesting because I look back and I think, how did I not address this or confront it this earlier? But you just get chipped away at every time I would bring it up with him his reaction was so strong that I think I just got quieter and quieter and I ended up not wanting to have you know the big conversation with him yeah but you did you did in the end how did you approach it look I'd tried many times and I'd said where is the rest of this money it doesn't add up and then I said let's do the barefoot investor and he said sure I'd love to and then never did it just continued to put everything on the credit card so I just was left in a position where I just couldn't make the finances work and he would more or less laugh at me because he was like see (laughs) it's not easy is it see you you did this to me when I was managing the budget and now see how hard it is ha ha but I tried a lot of times to talk about these things but a few things should have raised many red flags when we reapplied to I think it was move our home loan and I asked for his pay slips and he sent me through these blurry scans that I couldn't even read and I Mm. kept on asking him and then he said oh I'll send them direct so I never actually got to see them I never actually knew what his super situation was there was things I sort of discovered like you know one of the kids would open a letter that they'd got which was their bank statement, they were only young and it was like $15,000. So, oh, okay, so you're putting some money into funds for each of your kids. And he's like, well, you do that for yours. It seems to be that money was going to his priorities but not in the joint priorities for the household. Well, it became clear eventually. Yeah. Look, I do want to bring in an expert here because I feel talking to your partner about money can be difficult no matter what your financial position is. And this is why I've asked Fiona Bailey to join us. Now, Fiona is a relationship counsellor and convener of the Psychotherapy and Counselling Federation of Australia's College of Relationship Counsellors. Fiona, thanks so much for coming. You have been in this field for many, many years. Are examples like this kind of common? There are many examples of of people who are, are not necessarily upfront. And I guess there's a whole thing where couples manage money in different ways. But at the end of the day, if there's anything that is a, as Naomi's talked about, red flags, if we don't listen to ourselves, the key thing is to listen to ourselves. Because as soon as we start feeling like, hang on, something doesn't mm. feel right, that's the point at which you have to be saying, hang on, I have to listen to myself. I have to kind of check this out. I have to find out what is it that's not making me feel right. And it could be as simple as someone who's, you know, they maybe buy a, a scratchy every week, but they don't share that that's what they're doing. They, you might hear that they bought a scratchy and, oh, they won, you know, a hundred bucks. And you kind of go, oh, I didn't know you were into that. There's a little red flag, which is, I didn't know that. That's the sort of thing where you can just go, hang on, let me just check this out a little bit more. And then if you start talking about it and the other person starts getting defensive, there's another red flag to say, hang on, I was just asking you how often you buy a scratchy ticket and you're kind of going, well, you know, what's wrong with that? No, I mean, I notice you're nodding your head a lot. You obviously can relate to that. You did mention that your ex-partner did have a dabble in gambling. Whether you saw it as a red flag or not, I'm not sure, but you're nodding. 
Did you ask him about that or do you just push it aside? I did ask him about that part of my family's upbringing and everything was they'd always talked about gambling and I had an uncle who'd lost you know all of the money and my auntie was left high and dry so it was talked about a lot so I was very aware of it. What was his approach what was his answer to you? He said to me that he just had this small amount it was just with these two friends who I knew and it was his social little thing and that was all now that I've gone back and thought through everything I suspect it was a lot bigger problem than I thought. Also interesting was that I I didn't even think he would tell me every Christmas he would go out with these friends for a big splash up huge celebration using their winnings but I never saw any of the winnings. Mm. It was never shared back to the account and once he told me I won won big and I said well what are you going to do with that money and he said oh I think I might go on a trip with you know with one of his friends and I was like Oh. And you really have no chance there as a couple in a relationship. One of the most important thing is whether you choose to share your bank accounts, keep them separate, that's irrelevant. That depends on your personal circumstances. But your goals have got to be the same. And he clearly wasn't on the same goals there. It's impossible for one person to be doing everything and achieve the family goals if there's no support coming in. And I know, Fiona, you were just saying before also that they don't share their weddings. That's a red flag. But If you're getting knocked back, if a person is questioning their partner, but they're being made to feel that, hey, the problem is yours, not mine, how do you overcome that? So one of the problems is that we haven't just got the issue of money. We've got the issue of emotional attachment and that you are in a relationship and wanting the best for yourself, for the other person, for the relationship. So one of the tricky parts can be how much do we take it on the chin type of thing and say, I'll kind of just allow things to be I'm not going to push things because I don't want to rock the boat you know I love this person and I don't want to upset them but at the same time there is this tricky thing where we have to take stock and we have to you know challenge the other person in the relationship and that's part of what relationships are about we challenge each other to look at the way we are in the world and get to kind of reflect about ourselves now if the other person is not willing to do that we have a problem we have an issue that needs to be looked at a bit more deeply. And we particularly have a problem if one of the partners is gaslighting the other person. And when I say gaslighting, I'm saying that the other person is not being upfront, not being really involved in a conversation, is trying to shift things and muddy the waters so that it looks like they're being unreasonable. That makes people question their own reality. And when that's happening, You've got a big red flag and you need to have warning things. This is not okay. So there's a difference between people kind of feeling a little bit challenged and, oh, this is a difficult subject, but okay, we need to talk about this versus actually deflecting and scooting around and avoiding and evading then we have a problem. And you got to that stage, Naomi. What did you do then? What steps did you take when you realised, hey, this is a huge issue? You know, you you do feel silly in retrospect. What you're saying, Fiona, just rings so true. I wish I'd spoken to you (laughs) um, years ago. I think I'd say as well for me now, if you don't get an answer to your questions, that is your answer. That is a huge, huge, biggest red flag. Hang it out the front of your house, like cover the whole house with it. But you get so confused and undermined and gas 
a slip that you don't realise that. But even after I'd realised about his super, I started thinking I need to make plans because this guy is taking care of himself Mm -hmm. and only himself and not us as a couple. So I did start putting some money aside as an escape parachute, I guess. I realised if I needed to leave, I had no money for a bond or rent to get out and I thought I'm trapped. I remember saying to my mum, I'm trapped. Because all your money went into the property, your accounts were joint. I put all my bonus, work bonuses, everything into it because we were joint. So I had nothing of my own. So I started to put a little bit aside, withdraw it in cash and put some aside in a bathroom bag, which seems ridiculous, but just so that I would have enough for bond if I needed to leave so that I was giving myself some options. As it turned out, it all exploded. The deceit wasn't just financial. Actually, interestingly enough, I was looking for emails on his iPad about Mm. the house trying to get the documentation together as well, again, just to be ready if I did need to leave. Mm. And I discovered he'd been having an affair. Everything exploded after that. I kicked him out of the house that day and I went through every piece of paperwork that I could find and it all revealed itself. So that's when I sought legal advice. So you were saying that the deceit just didn't stop with finances. He was having an affair. You probably still to this day, not even quite sure of who he is. A hundred percent. So it's been, oh, I think a year and a bit, a year and a half. And it took me a lot of time to mentally piece together what the hell had even happened. I thought that he changed halfway through the relationship. And then over time, as more and more and more came to light, I realised that he was not at all an honest person or a good person. But also then I forensically went through all the bank accounts and that's when I realised, I thought, gosh, I've been so dumb. I wouldn't say you've been dumb at all. This is a situation that I imagine that a lot of women and men, of course, too, will find themselves in a situation like that. And it is that emotional side, Fiona, that you were talking about. Can I just ask, you were talking about how you move forward. You actually then brought in a lawyer? Correct. And I know we'll get to the legal side a bit later in the podcast, but if you can give me a a summary of what you wanted out of this relationship once it was dissolved. I wanted my deposit back. I'd fought for that my whole life, not my whole life, (laughs) my adult life. And I was terrified that he would be able to get 50% of that. So I went and sought legal advice. And that was the moment that everything changed for me when I found out that It was regarded as a short-term relationship Mm -hmm. under eight years and that I would get my deposit back. And he helped me strategize and made it clear to me that the law wasn't concerned with little bits and pieces but the big chunks and that I was far better going just to get my deposit rather than trying to fight for bits of super or bits of this and that. So I wanted out. After all of the mind messing over so many years, I had become a different person. I was, you know, really quiet and uh, I didn't speak out and that isn't Mm. me at all. And so I just wanted to be free. Once you walked away, once things were settled, what was the first thing you did? I bought my own property and being a single mum, you know, doing everything myself. And so I started buying all these power tools and I realised that I could sell 
my engagement ring back through the jeweler we bought it from and I thought what will I do with that money and I thought there's nothing more karmic than buying a power saw Um, (laughs) and, and every time I use it just giggling to myself most people would probably throw the ring away sell it but you decide to buy a power saw I love it such a good love yeah my new motto in life is power tools before jewels so that's how I'm going forward well done I know you've got a 15-year-old with special needs and I think you are setting a brilliant example for your daughter when it comes to relationships and money. But Fiona, the process that Naomi did, I mean, it sounds like she had that stash of cash that she was trying to, to save up. It sounds like you didn't need it, but I imagine a lot of women would be in that situation where that is one of the biggest obstacles. What help is there? Well, I think that's very true and, and a lot of women can stay in relationships because they feel trapped. And if you get trapped, the more unraveled you become, the more more doubting you become of your own sense of reality. And so getting help through any of the women's helplines is a really good and important place to kind of go. Even any of the helplines like Lifeline, often for a lot of women, they don't have anyone to talk to. Naomi, you've talked about having talked to your mum. And one of the key things that can happen in relationships like that is the process of isolating a woman from her support network because if you've got a support network you're much stronger but if you've lost your support network or that's been eroded then you're much more isolated so one of the things that people can do initially take a step to get themselves some support and that can be through like our organization PACFA we have a find a therapist function on our website you can just go to the website look for find a therapist and there is an opportunity to get some support there. Naomi, what would you say to other women who are listening right now that may be in a similar situation? I'd say don't doubt yourself. And it's really hard. I know that I saw the red flags and I heard them, but you're balancing it against trying to be reasonable and accommodating and, you know, as a kid, uh, you don't want to ruin their lives. But I think do listen to yourself, do take note of these things, ask the questions. And if you don't get the answers, that is huge. That is everything. Um, I think I would now ask before getting a home loan with anyone, I would say, I want to see your superannuation statements. I want to see everything. The other thing, Fiona, interesting, you talk about the support network. I think I was so confused at what was happening that I found myself not talking to my friends about it because Mm. I didn't understand and I think I was afraid if I verbalised it, I'd realise how bad it was. And when I did actually start sharing, I remember after finding the super statement actually saying to some friends and I even remember how tentative I was and I said, can you just tell me if this is normal or not. That's how bad I was. So you were, you were questioning whether what was happening was normal or not? No, it wasn't. Yeah. But I was so messed up in the head of being so confused of so much emotional and garbage and lying. Yeah. And, but I think I would say do reach out to your friends. Don't worry about them judging you. You need those people to say this is not normal. And, you know, they said to me afterwards, we didn't like seeing you changing. We could see you becoming a person you weren't and afraid to speak out. So I think use your friends, the really good friends, to keep you in check and say, this is not normal. 
Yeah, well said, well said. And for me, I like the fact that you were trying to get, you know, this savings account, this stash of cash, which I believe every individual should have some kind of cushion to protect themselves. If I can go back to you now, Fiona, I guess parting words, there's a lot of demand for assistance. Mental health has been a big issue, especially over the past, you know, 24 months. I know waiting lists are long to get into some help. What would your parting words be for someone listening today? I guess to know that there is a huge amount of help available. I mean, just any of the helplines to kind of kick off and even if you don't want to bring it out kind of in more publicly with friends, using a um, helpline is an anonymous way of actually just kind of sounding something out to test it out for yourself before, in a sense, going public. But I think, well, Naomi, what you, you highlight is that at the end of the day, we know in our gut, we know when something's not right. And so that coming back to trusting yourself and kind of saying, okay, I've got to face the music. I've got to actually take that conversation out of my head and into the real world so that I can hear something and get something back and test things out. If we um, test it out and find that, oh, actually, actually it's not that bad, it's there's something else, good, good. Bringing it out into the real world and testing it out will either show it up to be as bad as you fear or something that can be worked through and resolved. But whilst it's still kind of just rumbling around inside us, we haven't got that clarity. Thanks, Fiona. And we'll be sure to put some helplines in the show notes. Naomi, we wish you all the best for you and your daughter. I'm glad to see your financial journey is uh, continuing strong again. And uh, thanks again for sharing everything. Thank you. Okay, we've heard Naomi's story. Once you are ready to end a relationship, what steps do you take legally to separate your affairs? I've asked family law specialist, Brett Hartley, who is actually Naomi's lawyer from Hartley Family Law to break it down for us. Hello, Brett. Hi, Effie. Thanks so much for coming on. I'm keen to really understand situations when it comes to relationships breakdowns from a legal point of view. In Naomi's case, she was quite happy to walk away with what she put into the relationship. Is that what normally happens in a separation? Not always. Uh, Lots of people do come to their own arrangements and uh, do their own deals after separation, and that's good. As family lawyers, we probably only see about 10% of the separating population. Most people do work it out in an amicable fashion. So most Um, people don't rely on a lawyer to help out their affairs? Yeah, mostly. Mostly people nowadays are able, they may get some advice initially, but then sensibly work things out, and that's a good thing. Yeah, that is. Only a small portion of people who end up in the court system, and even those people who end up in that system, only a very small percentage of those ever gets to trial. But each marriage is different, and each circumstance that people have is different, so it's not always a case of walking away with what you have at the beginning. That typically could happen in shorter relationships, where people keep finances separate, there may not be any children, so a sensible solution is to each walk out with what they put in. But in some relationship, it's hard to do that. There may be a, a mixing of assets, children born, people giving up careers, etc. Then it's difficult to have a one answer for every marriage separation as to what's the best solution. Is there a difference between a marriage separation or a separation? The law in relation to financial settlements very similar in relation to married people separating or de facto couples separating. In in Australia, 
you can have a property settlement as soon as you separate. You don't have to wait until you get divorced. So if you are married, you can't be divorced until you've been separate and apart for 12 months. And then after that, once you file for divorce, you've only got another 12 months to either file in court for property or settle your property settlement issues. But you know, financial settlement, you can, you can organise as soon as you separate. Right. And what is that time frame for a separation? In a de facto relationship, you have to have been together for at least two years to be able to apply for property settlement or spousal maintenance, or there has to be a child of the relationship, or you've made a substantial financial contribution to the other one's assets. And now, if you believe your relationship is ending, what steps should you be taking from a legal point of view? Be aware of risk factors financially in your relationship breakdown. So situations where you may not be in control of the money, large cash amounts or other investments may be under the control of the other party. There may be substantial lines of credit that could be drawn on without your consent. So you're looking for other areas of financial risk that could arise if you separate and if things go badly between you both. But other than that, you know, go and talk to a, a specialist family lawyer earlier rather than later. We often talk to people who just want to come in and, and have a chat about what their rights are if they do separate and sometimes never see those people again because they may not separate or they may work things out amicably, but they get some basic advice about how the system works and what they can expect so what you're essentially saying is keep your eyes wide open, think of the worst case situation as to what to happen and then put some stop measures in place? Yes, but don't panic too much. I mean, obviously there are situations where there may be needs to act urgently to protect assets from being dissipated or hidden, but the family court's got a lot of powers to help people out when monies go missing. There's a fair few things that can be done Look, there's definitely a lot of confusion, time, and let's not even go to the cost of separation. But what is the best way of approaching it? I think if you do need to go to lawyers and you do have a financial dispute, then the best way of approaching it is to have a mindset to be determined to settle without litigating ultimately in court and try to settle your matter through mediation. What if you can't? I mean, that sounds all nice and dandy, but from uh, a lot of experiences I've heard, the parties just can't even stand the sight of each other. <laughs> what happens in that case? Well, I, I suppose that they don't have to be <laughs> friends. They, they can still not get on. But if they've both got good specialist family lawyers, then they're halfway there. And obviously, there are still things that can impede a settlement, one party being unreasonable, difficult circumstances and facts. But, you know, usually if parties both set their mind to doing their best they can to resolve it out of court, it will usually resolve out of court. So what factors come into play when splitting assets? So the main factors in Australia when splitting assets relate to many different things. Things such as the length of your relationship. The more you're together, the longer that relationship is. We don't have a 50-50 rule, but typically... The longer people are together, the more important the various different types of things they do in the marriage adds up and counts for a lot more and gets to be seen as more of an equal partnership the longer you're together. 
what you both bring to the relationship can sometimes be important. Say, for example, if someone's together for 15 or 20 years, but someone brings a million dollar business into the relationship that's worth 10 million at the end, that provided income and support for the family, that may be a significant factor that affects the division and the outcome. Other things such as inheritances, gifts from family members, and how much they are, when it's received, how they're used. What about age age of children? Yeah, so also factors such as number of kids under 18, who has the primary care of them, earning capacities, how much each of you are earning when you separate, and questions such as did the marriage affect anyone's earning capacity or not. So there's a whole shopping trolley full of different factors that can affect an individual outcome. Look, what would you say to others listening right now in a situation like this? What would be, I guess, your summing up on how one can protect themselves? As an individual, I think you now need to maintain your independence and your ability to stay in the workforce and to be of value to yourself because we don't have a system of spousal maintenance that properly compensates people who give up careers and livelihoods. Second way is to look at prenuptial agreements or what we call binding financial agreements, especially for second relationships. People can enter into it and protect the assets they each bring into that relationship. That works well in a lot of cases, but if you're planning to have children and a few children, probably don't do the agreement. It can cause um, some problems and they don't always stand up where there are children born after the agreement. So you're suggesting if you're planning on having a family not to actually have a prenup? You'll find a lot of lawyers don't like to draft them when you're planning to have a, a family because it's difficult to predict what's going to happen. The third way, which is happening a lot now, we're seeing in modern relationships is to keep finances separate. In other words, if you're both um, have assets and have income earning ability. We're seeing a lot of relationships where parties are romantic, but they're friends in finance, so to speak. In other words, they don't mix bank accounts, they don't buy property together, they accumulate assets in their own name, but still have a traditional marriage in all other respects. Now, that doesn't guarantee that the court will necessarily go, yes, you should keep your assets separate like you've done during your marriage. But the law says they must have a principled reason for altering your interests in property. So that if husband's got half of me and wife's got half of me and and that's how it was all through the relationship, there may be an argument that that's how it should stay. It probably also encourages people when you keep assets separate and you have some sort of understanding like that, not to then fight because you both have this understanding that what's mine is mine and what's his is his or whatever. Um, <laughs> I thought you were about to say what's mine is mine and yours is mine. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, Brett, they're really good points. For me, I think the key tack out here was definitely maintain your independence. For a lot of women, we do become the carer. We do take time out of the workforce. And that's neither right nor wrong. That's a definitely a personal kind of choice there. But I think your point about maintaining independence, know the financial affairs, even if you aren't working or bringing in so-called dollars, your worth is still there. And it's important to understand what's happening. Look, I appreciate your time, Brett, and your insights. I hope I never have to meet you in person. <laughs> and it's interesting you mentioned with um, 
finances, I do keep my account separate from my partner. And that is because our money personalities are very different and it works wonderfully, exactly. wonderfully. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for your time, Brett. Thanks, Effie. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Real Money with Effie Zahos, powered by CanStar, Australia's biggest financial comparison site. CanStar's experts research and rate finance products from over 30 categories, including home loans and insurance, personal loans, super and investing. To compare products and see if you could be getting a better deal, visit canstar.com.au. As always, you'll find useful links in the show notes. But if you need more information on today's podcast topics or any other money topics, head to canstar.com.au. Do you have a money story you'd like to share? Get in touch with me at effie.zahos at canstar.com.au.